Um, next, we have Fohan, if he would like to ask his questions. So, um, I, I, I read my whole life sometimes the books of Carlos Castaneda and the Toltecs, and they talk about um, getting into freedom, like um, like burning the consciousness by a technique and um, came over thousands and thousands of years and this, these techniques and yeah, it's about freedom. So uh, my question is um, when, when we get to the point where when we um, at the lowest level of entropy where everyone loves um, uh, or on the being, being level, everyone is pure love and on all other realities, the same thing will happen. Um, could it be that that everything will just be um, implode into something like nirvana, or that that there is nothingness, like the consciousness stopped to be? Those who are, and they they tried a lot of techniques, and I don't get the point quite good, but I understood it like there is a possibility to get out of any reality, to get out of, of being a consciousness, just just pure freedom. So. Um, I, I already asked you the question if um, uh, what is the final aim for consciousness and you 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 said that it's love and I have some other consciousness researchers and that I know they, they especially one who's saying that uh, no it's freedom so okay. those those two things come together they are uh, things that are necessary for each other um, Love only prospers, you know, in, a, in freedom. Uh, entities only evolve toward love because they have free will choice. So you need freedom to make choices before you can grow. If there is no freedom, then you can't make choices and it doesn't matter. You know, uh, you go back to determinism. So freedom, when you do have the society of people who are love-based rather than fear-based, you have maximum individual freedom. Um, there are fewer constraints on the individual in such a society. I think part of what you are, are reading is a confusion between the free will awareness unit as consciousness and then the larger conscious system as consciousness. For those who feel you know for those who are talking about what i say in my book is little c consciousness that's just the free will awareness unit and that free will awareness unit is kind of tied to this virtual reality well i think these uh Castaneda and others are saying they get free from that they get free from that little c consciousness and indeed you can get free from that little c consciousness because that's just a subset of something bigger and as consciousness, you can explore and interact and live in a much bigger space than just that free will awareness unit's uh, space. So there is freedom as you expand, more freedom. And when you get to the final point where we talked about earlier, where you are just one with everything that exists, where you are, you are connected to that, that uh, complete and total love, that is the most freedom that you'll ever experience. You are everything and you are completely free. There are, there are no bounds 
you and everything are all one. So there's no bounds on you at all. You can be or do whatever. So I would, I would agree with them in the sense that there is more freedom as you, as you go to higher levels of your, uh, awareness of what you what you're calling consciousness but some people a lot of people call consciousness just the free will awareness unit they don't realize there's more to consciousness than that they give that i guess other names and they maybe feel they're getting free from being confined by the free will awareness unit so i can understand that that's not a you know that's not a uh, a hard thing to to get but freedom and love go together free choice and consciousness go together. Can't have one without the other. And it's it, the, my thinking about it. Um, as I want to be free, is, is this thinking only ego based? Because it, it's finally my own ego that wants to be free. But why? Well, you are most free when you are engaged with other people. The idea of being free being uh, you're the hermit that sits in a cave all by yourself and you think you're free of all entanglements. You know, that is not the case. That's not freedom. That's just a, a, you know, a different set of constraints. So the idea of wanting to be free, wanting to not have responsibility maybe, or wanting to not have, uh, to have to get up every morning and go to work. That's not, uh, the point of freedom that's just another set of constra that's another set of constraints you want to let go of constraints you've got and take another set of constraints that are more fun but that's not really what freedom is all about freedom is is most present and most appreciated when you are very much engaged with other people you see freedom has to has to be uh, a a uh, You know, you have to be interactive. If you are alone in a spacesuit floating in space and there's nothing around, you know, like one of those movies, you know, where the guy's out in space, he's just him, outer space in a spacesuit, you could say, well, he has total freedom. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. But you could also say he has the less, the, you know, the least freedom of every of anyone. He's constrained to a very small little volume of space. So we have to, you have to get your idea of what is, what is freedom? What does it, what does it mean? And it's not being rid of responsibility. It's basically being rid of fear. Getting rid of fear is what gives you freedom. Thank you. So I, I have a little second question. It's still in the topic of Carlos Castaneda. He talks about, Dream realities where the tall text or the, the 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 new and old viewer they how they say they um, they met in their dream realities um, so-called scouts, unorganic beings um, which are able to 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 uh, I don't know how to say it, to to travel all around um, any kind of realities really deep deeply inside of anything and. Um, If they talk about all these topics like scouts and um, and deeper realities, um, um, which is uh, what is computed? And um, when you say we are we are a cell in a body, 
Um, could it be that outside this body something uncomputed happened or is anything or everything that we just can catch with our knowledge will be computed? So, and all the other religions with their deep thoughts and is, is anything or everything computed or could it be that there's outside of what we don't know, maybe not computed? No, I think that uh, if you take our system as being the larger consciousness system, then everything that is experiential, everything in which you can, can every place or space in which you can experience is a virtual reality, is a computed reality. Even to the very simplest virtual reality was just communication protocols. But that's a rule set. Those communication protocols produce a rule set so we can communicate and and we interact within the confines of that rule set. You know, that defines a virtual reality. It's about data. So I think everything is virtual. And when you talk about the scouts and you talk about other things that people experience in other worlds and so on, those are mostly metaphors. Those are mostly descriptions of experience. And if they're experience, they all take place inside of virtual reality. The only thing that is fundamental is consciousness itself, and everything else is virtual. But don't find that to be a downer. Don't find that that to be a you know a bad a bad thing. We a lot of people think that because the reality is virtual, that it's therefore it's not real, it's not important, it's not substantial. That is not the case. There is nothing more real than information. Information is what defines reality. So there isn't anything more real than that. You have a data stream, you define it as this reality. You you dream, you define that as a dream reality. You go out of body and fly around and you define that in terms you know, of information. It's all information. That is the nature of reality. It is just information so the idea that well then everything's kind of fake and sterile it's all just this this computed thing you know it's not real that's a prejudice we have that we get with growing up in a culture that has a belief in materialism we kind of think that this material world or even the immaterial world of spirits or something somehow something has to be most real and it isn't it's all information. There isn't anything more real than information. That's where all the good stuff comes from. That information is the is the the beauty and the love and the relationship and everything boils down to information. And we ourselves are beings of information. It's not as it's not as cold and sterile as it sounds. That's just a a, a materialistic prejudice. So thank you. Um, I have a question regarding sexuality. So me as a conscious being, um, when I think, uh, my question is, um, is sexuality just um, a lack of information or the will or the instinct of having sex? Is this, is this just a lack of information? Because the more information I get or the more I learn about um, consciousness, I feel maybe I'm wrong, maybe it will change, but I feel less interest on sexuality so it 
it's sometimes it's so so weird to think about sexuality that the two two virtual bodies love each other and it's like it's like yeah yeah it's like weird and you know what i mean maybe yeah i don't know what you mean um sexuality is a fundamental part of this evolved virtual reality that we call the physical universe um you know it started with the uh, you know the initial conditions and the big digital bang and a rule set and then we end up with avatars like us and all the animals and plants and all the rest of it just evolved out of this simulation and part of that evolution created sexuality that's how things propagate here that's how things continue on so it doesn't just uh, go for a little while and quit you have to keep having more you know seeds and and uh, have to start new plants and babies have to start new critters and new humans so it's part of the process of evolution that that's the way this reality evolves so sexuality is a very important part of our life and it's an important one of our instincts because that's why we exist if we didn't have sexual drives then the species would have disappeared a long time ago so it's it's innate to our avatar i guess would be the way to say it it's innate to our avatar now as you grow up and get a bigger reality then there's maybe more things of interest you know if you have a very small reality sexuality may be a you know a 75% of it if you expand your reality sexuality may only be a 25% of it because you have so much more you have a bigger reality so maybe that's what you're feeling there is you know the bigger your reality gets then the smaller any particular piece of it is relative to the whole but that sexuality is still fundamental to being human to being an avatar and if you deny instincts and deny those things that are fundamental you will end up damaging yourself you'll be at cross purposes to yourself so you should you know uh work with your instincts work with your sexuality it's a good thing it's not a bad thing sexuality is not contrary to spirituality those two can can live together very nicely but the idea that sexuality makes up most of your world that will tend to lessen as you grow up and your world gets bigger and maybe that's what you're experiencing but that's okay sexuality then just has a a uh, a more refined place in your in your world rather than being kind of the the main part of it but don't don't feel like there's a incompatibility between spirituality and sexuality there's not thank you tom so much you're welcome bill o'brien has another question for you tom uh yes and um it's I suppose tied to the a little bit to the what I've heard since the first uh, question asked that, and it's to do with uh, stress and um, uh, a good way to manage it. I've heard you speak many about it, and I've often uh, I thought about it, but I, now and then, um, to use my own metaphors, it just feels like uh, you know you're stuck, is it spinning your wheels, but you're not actually going. You know, it's all 
noise and effort, but no real distance. And uh, what's um, can you kind of offer any good uh, good uh, insights into uh, a way to to deal with that or in a, in a um, in a daily basis, just to kind of mitigate it and and kind of get things to run nice and smooth and level. Yeah. So the question is how to deal with stress, basically yeah. all those. Yeah. Well, the more fear you have, the more stress you have. Fear is a big creator of stress. So of course the fundamental thing to do about it is get rid of the fear because then the stress goes along with it. Uh, the get rid of the fear and the ego and the beliefs go away. And once you get all that stuff gone, then there's very little stress and there's almost nothing that stresses you out because you no longer have buttons that can be pushed nor things that can uh, be upsetting. You kind of accept things the way they are. Much of our stress comes from our need to have things the way we want them. Our need to be in control to some sense, like we've got some goal and we're moving toward it and we're trying to control all the pieces on the board so that, uh, It'll work out the way we want it to work out. So it'll be good for our family or good for our parents or whatever the, the thing is. And then things don't work out that way. And now it's stress. So the more we try to control and the more we, we try to put constraints on what's acceptable and what's not, then the more stress we have. The more we try to define our path, then the more stress we have. It's better to just accept things as they happen, not worry too much about what happens as how you deal with that that happens. Now, we do have to worry some about what happens. You can't just go through life totally cavalier, not caring about, you know, anything. You still have to pay your mortgage and, you know, pay for your car payment and put gas in the car. There's things you have to do, so you have to have some planning. And those plans can go awry, and that will create stress. But we can minimize that by just being very accepting of the things that that do happen that we can't control and most of what happens to us are things that we can't control we'd like to control them and we try to control them but for the most part we're not very successful at controlling things particularly if those things are other people so if you just let all that go and it is what it is and you will uh, work with whatever comes then a lot of your stress will just go away that's the basic cause of it is not having things go the way you want them to go. They're not falling out the way you want them to fall out. People aren't seeing things the way you want them to see it. They're not sharing your attitudes or your ideas on what's a good thing to do and what's not. And that causes stress. Well, it's better just to let everybody be however they are and the stress will disappear. So that would be one way of going about it. Try to, uh, not control, not to uh, plan any more than necessary. You need to plan some, but uh, try to keep the the uh, organizing the future to a minimum. Just let the future happen and unroll. Manage manage the future where you have to, but realize there's an awful lot of it that you don't have to manage. It just will happen. And if you're okay with it happening, what's there to be stressed about? Yeah, thanks, Tom. That's going to take a bit of practice. <laughs> yeah, that will take a bit of practice. Yeah, the thing I, is... I, 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 I've thought about that a lot. Now. Yeah, but it was like, 
how am I going to do that? Right. <laughs> well, the way you, you know, the way you do that, Bill, is that it takes. You should expect that it's going to take you a year or two to do that. It's not something you're going to do like you know tomorrow, and then everything will be fine the next day. It's something you have to work on and work on. As as you catch yourself trying to organize the future and being unsuccessful and therefore creating stress, you just got to cut it out and say, oh, wait a minute, I'm just going to let that be. I'll let it work out how it works out. I'll let people be how they are, and then I'll, I'll deal with it in a positive way. So you'll catch yourself doing that and kind of make a mental note to not do that anymore, but then, of course, an hour later, you'll do it again and make another mental note and focus your intent on not doing it. And then an hour later, you'll do it again. It's just the way it is. But if you keep your intent focused on that idea of just letting things be, let things unfold as they unfold and be okay with it and and uh, deal positively with it, support, give, um, you know, care about other and not so much about you having it come out the way you want it, the more you have an intent focused on that outcome, the higher the probability that you will get there and that will be the outcome. If your intent isn't focused on it or if you're only focused on it for a week and then it doesn't seem to work so you give it up, then you probably never get there. But the intent, reality follows intent. Keep that intent focused on achieving that that goal, that lack of fear, that ability to accept, and it will get a lot better. It, it may take a year or so, but if you keep that intent focused, your reality will adjust itself to that reality. That's the neat thing about intent. You get to create your own reality. It's just we can't do it quickly. It takes time and you have to focus over over maybe a, you know six months or a year before you start seeing results. Need a long attention span. Thank you very much, Tom. All right, Tom. We have a question from Sveta, uh, who's not here today, so I'll read that. Um, the most structured question here, I think, is question her question on meditation. I've noticed that while meditating, I think differently. Speedy, productive, clearly, unusually for my usual thinking answers. The type I'm not capable of reaching while fully awake. Then there are visions, but never high quality, but more foggy figures coming out of some gray substance. I'm stuck at this point, and an experience doesn't evolve, doesn't become more tangible. Is there a way to nudge it a little? Yes, there is a way to nudge it a little, and the way you nudge it is to engage. Don't be a voyeur. You shouldn't be kind of hanging out, waiting for pictures and experiences to come to you, so that you, it's not like watching your TV or going to a play and having it put on for your entertainment. You have to engage with things. So if you see a even a fuzzy, murky thing that starts to whatever, don't just sit back and say, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. You know, that's, a, that's being a voyeur. You're watching it. Engage it. Become it. Dive into it. Uh, become one with it. Uh, explore it. Don't just watch it. So that would be the way to, to, to change that. And the reason everything seems clear when you're in a meditation state and everything seems, you know, that your thinking is, is foggy otherwise is because in a meditation state, you've let go of all that chatter going on in your head all the time. And with, with all that chatter gone, you can think and keep your mind focused on a single thing long enough to get some coherent thoughts together. With all the chatter in your head, 
we tend to have a hard time getting coherent thoughts together. The mind just kind of wanders around a lot because it's not, it's not, um, it's not tamed. It's kind of a wild, a wild mind that won't, uh, you know, won't settle down. So that's why the meditation works well. But again, you can practice that while you're awake. Just take a deep breath and let everything go. You don't have to really meditate. You just have to quiet your mind. The quieter your mind is, the clearer your thinking will be. But the key to the key to having an experience that's that's interesting is to engage, connect to whatever it is. Don't just watch it. All right, we have a question from one of the MBT forum members. Um, this is a question from Wolfgang. In an OBE a couple of weeks ago, that's an out-of-body experience, a handful of bodiless entities administered Program 47 to me. That is what I heard them call it, given Program 47. They agreed amongst themselves. I understood what this program was meant to do. It was a type of healing program. So my question is not about the program itself, but about how standard such a thing might be. Is there a standard set of programs that are or can be administered to help us or teach us? For example, if someone were administered Program 31 during an OBE, could another person go into MPMR and get that same program by name? I remember how MPMR tests that you described in your MBT trilogy seem to be standardized and were administered both to you and Bob Monroe. And I'm wondering if there exist programs that are also standardized and thus in principle accessible to more than one IUOC. If so, what do these programs do and who designed them? Okay, what the programs do and all the tests too, they all do one thing and that is help people lower their entropy, help people grow up and see a bigger picture. That's the whole point is the system tries to help people evolve the quality of their consciousness. So all of the programs and tests are to that end, helping you expand your awareness so that you see a bigger reality. Only when you see a bigger reality are you likely to care about another. When your reality is really small, then you mostly just care about yourself. So getting that bigger picture is important to becoming love and growing up. So that's what they're there for. And you know where, how do they come? Where do they come from? And do they exist? Yes, they exist. It's the same reason that we have standardized tests. If you find something that works, then you're going to reuse it. So if you find a a, a test scenario that's really good at ferreting out how much fear a person has, then you're going to use that. Or a scenario that uh, finds you know how big a picture they have, how much do they understand what's important and what's not, then you're going to reuse that test. And if you want to compare people, uh, how much uh, learning is going on within a, within, a, uh, within a group or within an ensemble of people, then you need a standardized test so you can see how one person is doing compared to others. So for those two reasons, because a good, a good program or a good test is something you want to re. re- rerun and because it gives you some sense of of uh, how everybody's doing uh, so you know why do teachers give tests in school it's for the same reason is to help the kids learn the material the test forces them to rethink what you've gone over in the class it forces them to look at it from another perspective 
if all you're doing is forcing your kids to go memorize stuff, then you're not really a very good teacher. You're not teaching them. You're just trying to make them memorize facts, which is really not really related to education. So that's why, because it works and because it's necessary if the system's going to help you and going to give you the things you need to succeed, it needs to know where you are, what your level of fear is. So how open are you to certain things? If it tried to help you in this way, would it just scare you to death and cause more fear or would it be something you would embrace? It needs to know that. So that's why it has uh, programs and tests, and that's why some of them are uh, standardized. I, from my own experience, I've run into at least a half a dozen people that have shared identical experiences to my own, where we discussed a particular vignette, a particular experience, and the experience was detail to detail precisely identical. So that tells me that there are indeed standardized experience, experiences out there that uh, are meant to help people grow up and help the system figure out how they can help the people grow up. All right, Tom, the next question also comes from the MBT forum. Um, on side effects of LSD and DMT on NPR experiences, you are an experienced and familiar with sober exploration of consciousness. That is what you're known for, drug-free pioneer of consciousness exploration. So what do you imagine would happen to you if you ingested a heavy dose of one or more of the multiple psychedelic drugs, such as LSD and DMT? Would you have it under control, and would it present you with anything new? Uh, well, that's a problematic question, asking me what would happen if I did something that I've never done before. You know, I don't really, I don't really know how I can answer that because I've never done it before, and I would have to maybe have some conjecture. Um, but again, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. I don't have experience with LSD or DMT, and. Uh, I can't imagine why I would want to take those. I have access to, I have all the access I need without them. So taking them would seem to me to be a foolish thing. But then again, you don't know what you've never experienced. So I have to plead ignorant on uh, what effect it would have. It depends on what those drugs do and how they act. If all they do is, is uh, shoot you up into, into the uh, non-physical world, then I would probably hardly notice because I do that anyway. If they were something that, uh, you know, really gripped your body and forced you into particular kinds of things, then I would notice that and probably wouldn't like it. I don't like being forced into anything. So I would feel a lack of freedom of choice. So I think I probably would not like the experience if they were, if they were pushy and if they weren't pushy, I think it would be uh, neither here nor there. But I have no idea, no experience to be able to, to talk about that. What All I right, do, Tom, so I also... See, yeah, I see the last line there is, is uh, uh, would I do such an experiment? And no, I wouldn't because my, my mind is a very valuable commodity to me. 
There isn't anything I value a whole lot more than my consciousness. That is very fundamental to who I am and what I do and the world that I live in. And anything that takes an outside substance such as LSD and DMT and then messes with that consciousness, messes with the body, actually, what it's doing is it's interfering with the body in those in those parts of the body that set constraints on the consciousness. Remember, the avatar and all things, all things physical, including the avatar and the brain, are there to set constraints on what the consciousness can do. And the constraints are set by the rule set. So it makes the consciousness can only do things with the avatar that are according to the rule set, within the rule set. That's what the avatar does. You take a drug and now you've changed that biochemistry and it changes the constraints on the consciousness. It may, if it loosened the constraints and just gave me more freedom, I'd find them irrelevant because I already have all the freedom that I can use. If they slammed me into something else, then I would have less freedom and I would, I would not like them. So I don't see that there's a win there. It looks like it's either a lose or a lose, no matter which way that would go. And I wouldn't want to have any repercussions. And I know sometimes people do. People who took LSD sometimes for years would have flashbacks and other sorts of things. So there's, there's possibilities of permanent changes in the constraints on my consciousness. And I would not be willing to go there. I'd like my consciousness just the way it is. Okay, thank you, Tom. Uh, Eric has one more question for you. Go ahead, Eric. Okay, so I have a question on meditation. Um, when when meditating, uh, I've reached the point where I realized that what I really am is not a person or a somebody, but just uh, an impersonal consciousness, if that makes sense. And I've also reached a point where I felt one with everything. It was as though looking at the world was looking at my own body, like as though everything was just part of what I am. Um, I was just wondering, it, does, it doesn't sound like these things are the same thing uh, as the point consciousness state that you often talk about. So I was wondering how do these sort of, states or realizations or perspectives relates to the point consciousness state the point consciousness state where you're a point of consciousness floating in the void you're only aware of that you exist that is a doorway and i urge people to learn to go there and and be able to hold that for some time because that then becomes a doorway for everything else once you can do that then you can leave that point consciousness and go embrace reality like you the things you're talking about uh it's hard to do just go embrace reality from uh come from a cold start for most people now after you get much better at it you can embrace reality and be one with everything just from a cold start you don't need a lot of preparation but for beginners and for even people who are beyond beginners Going to point consciousness is like preparation. It's not the end point. It's not the thing that you do, and that's the state you need to get and hold. That's just something you need to do that prepares you for everything else that you can do with your consciousness. 
So that's all the point consciousness is. It's it's a it's a platform from which you can launch into many different directions. While in point consciousness, you'll be more effective healing. You'll be more effective remote viewing. You'll be more effective becoming one with the larger system. You'll be more effective doing almost everything if you go to point consciousness first, because what that does is it just puts you in a space where you're no longer attached to this data stream. And when you're no longer attached to this data stream and you're not getting any data at all, your data stream is a blank. There, your intent can take you to whatever other data stream you want. So it's the it, the first step is getting out of the old data stream. But when I meditate, I seem to move towards a different state where I'm I sort of feel one with everything. So I was wondering, am I doing something wrong? I mean, it's a very nice state. Uh, like I love doing it, but I've never been able to experience the point consciousness state, which does sound like a useful thing. But I don't I don't really know how to. Um, how to get there, so to speak. No, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. You're just basically bypassing that first step. So in a in in an effort to get to step C, you don't go to step B first. You're going straight from one, you know, from A to C. You're skipping the point consciousness. Uh, probably not something you need to do. I suspect you are letting go of this data stream easily, and therefore really don't need that exercise of of doing that so i don't think there's anything wrong it's probably just something you don't uh, you don't have to do the point consciousness is a nice state for just relaxation it's like floating you know you're just you're floating you're you're the, you're an i am you're in the void you don't have any data and you're just a floating point of existence and that can be relaxing and nice but where you're going to is generally even nicer and that is being one with the, you know, being one with everything else and being uh, connected to everything. And you probably also feel the sense of being surrounded and being a part of love because you're not only just a part of it, like a mechanical part of it, you're also a part of it in a, in a caring, in a feeling sense. You, you feel it, not just see it or be it. You're, you're feeling all of that. And that's the, that's the love and the caring that you have in common with everything. And that's, that's a better state than just point consciousness. But many people have to go to point consciousness first to get there. But if you bypass it, that's not a problem. It is a nice place to hang out, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful feeling. It's by far better than, than any, any other worldly experience. Yes. So I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> um, I was wondering though, how does this then relate to going out of body? Because I'm I I'm I'm not able to just do that at will. So I was wondering, like, how do you go from there to being able to access different data streams? You just have an intent. Your intent is probably. A- you're having difficulty because you don't know what to intend. In other words, you need an address. If you have an address, then you can set your intent on that address and there you will go. You'll be there instantly. You'll teleport to that address. But if you don't have any addresses, now you're kind of stuck because you don't know what to intend to do or what intend to to where, where you might go. It's probably why you're stuck. At that point, connect with the, while well, you're connected to the larger consciousness system in that, uh, what the uh, uh, Hindus call a state of bliss, 
have the intention to the system to take you someplace or send you someplace that would be educational, that you could learn from it. It would be an experience that would be beneficial to you. So just ask that. And it's a high probability that'll happen. Poof, you'll be someplace else. And then you just look around and say, well, what can I learn here? You know, what's the lesson here? Uh, what's all, what's going on here? Do, can I get a bigger picture because of this? And then you learn from it. Now you've got a place you can go. Any Anytime you want to go there, all you have to do is think of that and you'll be there. So you can have the system show you around a bit and collect some addresses of places that are that are interesting or useful. If you want, you can ask the system to take you certain kinds of places uh, if you have specific things you'd like to do. So first you have to get there before you can get there again. And you, because you haven't gone there yet, then you that's what's, that's what's giving you the problem. So get the system to help you. It'll help you. You won't have any trouble with that. Okay, great. I'll try that. Thanks a lot. All right, Tom. Uh, our next question from an MBT forum user, Mark Griffin. Uh, hi, Tom. I have a question regarding the possibility of connecting with multiple free will awareness units during dreams. My fiance had a stroke in December, and during her recovery and ever since, she has been experiencing premonitory dreams as well as other dreams in which she is living as another person. She explains that during these dreams, she fully recognizes the surroundings, yet when she wakes up and tries to recall, the recognition stops. She is also aware of making decisions and seems fully lucid. She has dreamt of locations in Greece and other destinations that turn out to actually exist. The question is, is she experiencing connections to other free will awareness units from her own IUOC, or are these just dream realities she's frequenting? I suspect that she is, in some part of her mind, it may not be conscious, it may be subconscious, she is having a, a question or a thought um, maybe she's just thinking of travel or, or places or being somewhere. And that's all it takes when you're in a, when you're in a very productive state, you can just a little bit of intent will pop you someplace. And I suspect she does have that intent floating around. It may not be in her conscious mind, but it's taking her to places and she's just collecting data and the system may be encouraging her to do that just to help, uh, increase you know the size of her of her picture so she has a bigger picture in, on reality and it's good that when she goes to a place that she then looks it up to see if that place really exists and more than just that exists is it really the way she saw it in other words when you go to that place is there a big red barn you know next to a vineyard and uh, you know cattle standing in a field on the other side she should maybe go to google Google Maps and see if she can't find that and look down on it or look it up in a book if there's if there's pictures of it in a travel book. But finding that evidence will give her confidence that what she's doing is real. That will make her pay more attention to it. That will make it more vivid and give her more control. So as always, experiment. You know, play with it. Experiment. Gather the evidence. That would be uh, what I'd suggest. She is um, no, it's not just a uh, dream reality when it's very specific like that, to going places that then correspond to those places. When you look them up, that's something more than just an idle, an idle uh, dream. 
that's that's information that is corroborated by fact and she can start working with that it might be fun and she might learn to see you know to have a bigger picture all right tom next question from channel 79 mbt forum on the effects of having different perspectives tom i am now that i am more connected with the larger reality the more I become aware of the significance and my deep appreciation for my physical life. Something illustrates and reminds me that this reality experience is actually very special from a higher and broader perspective in ways that were previously outside of my imagination. Previously, I experienced PMR, that's physical matter reality, and my life in it as way too normal and non-special. But though I Though I experienced most of my life that way, now when I occasionally manage to connect with this higher perspective and I focus upon those same memories, they appear much more rich and significant than they probably actually were experienced by me at the time. His first question is, I'd like more clarification on what's occurring here. Am I experiencing the contrast created by becoming aware of vastly different realities or perspectives, or is it more? I now find it scary to imagine if the LCS never evolved Earth, many important experiences that we take for granted would be just completely missing, even basic things such as having eyes and visions. Do you feel the same way? And would it be wrong if we were to receive a taste of that perspective at some point, if everyone were to receive a, a taste of that perspective at some point in their life, just enough for them to consider that life is more than an unenthusiastically dragging yourself around on a sphere. Uh, yes, I agree uh, with that, and I do feel the same way. And this gets back to the question of what is real and what is important. The more you grow up, the more, you might say, the more real, the more you grow up, the bigger picture you have when you realize that this is a virtual reality and that it's information. It doesn't make your life more sterile and less meaningful. It's not, you know, the idea of, uh, oh, well, who cares what I do? It's just a virtual reality. I might as well just go drink beer and watch TV because it's just a virtual reality. You know, that is absolutely wrongheaded. This virtual reality is amazing. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. And experience is something that, uh, you know, couldn't be equal anywhere else. It's just a wonderful place to be and spend time. And yes, when you look back on what you used to think was a mundane life, and suddenly you see all those decisions you had and the choices you made and what those choices led to and what they might have led to if you had a bigger perspective back then, and so on, you begin to see the, the value and the, and the beauty of this place. And it is a magnificent place to be. It's always sad when I hear people, uh, you know, commenting about, do I have to come back to this place? You know, I want to get out of here. And, you know, after I, you know, after I die this time, I'm never coming back to this place. And they have such a negative attitude about it or the idea that because it's virtual, it isn't important. And it's, that's just fear and ego talking. It's a magnificent place. And that uh, it provides us with, with uh, relationships and connections that would never be possible in a chat room. You know, it provides us with, 
with a detail of experience and a depth of experience that otherwise couldn't happen. So coming to this reality, yes, it can be difficult if you have a lot of fear, but then that's the point. If you have a little fear, you need to start getting that intent, working on getting rid of it. And then your life becomes happier and, and more fulfilling. So, yeah, I agree very much with uh, uh, Chapter 79 that uh, it is a wonderful place and it isn't boring and it isn't uh, just full of drudgery. That's looking at it from a very, very limited viewpoint. That's because you have a tiny little picture and you're full of fear. That's the way it looks from that viewpoint. But from a bigger viewpoint, it's truly a magnificent place to be.